So maybe for some of us that's church. Hopefully not this morning. <laughs> uh, this morning we are continuing our message on, uh, we're looking at our core values. Depending on which study you read, uh, stats and percentages might be different, but one thing is extremely clear. Many people leave the church because they don't find it relevant. Typically, the younger the age, the greater the percentage. So this morning, we're going to look at um, our second core value, the second value in the undeniable. We've been talking about the undeniable message of Jesus. Um, if you have a sheet, you can fill this in at the top. We value engaging communication. We value engaging communication and expect the clear, relevant presentation of Scripture to speak life to a dying culture. Let me just say that one more time and then we'll move on. At the gathering, we value engaging communication and expect the clear, relevant presentation of Scripture to speak life to a dying culture. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to kind of break this apart. We're going to talk about the three different parts of that value statement. The first part is engaging communication. Engaging communication is about our methods. When I was in seminary years ago, I had a professor make this statement. He said, it should be a sin to bore people with the Bible. I heard a story one time about a, a preacher. He was at a conference, and he was talking about, he's a famous preacher too. He's talking about going to a church, and he had to fill in as a junior high Sunday school teacher. And he walked in in the morning, and he starts teaching from the Bible about, junior high, about Noah's Ark. And he said right away, he could just tell that he had lost them. But I don't have any teachers in the house. That's the worst feeling in the world when you know you've already lost your audience and you're just now getting started. So he kind of muddled his way through. At the end, he looked at this room full of junior hires and he said, listen, I just want to say one thing. I'm really sorry. I know that I did a horrible job this morning. I was prepared, but I lost your attention. I didn't keep you. And if you'll come back next week, I guarantee you, I'm going to teach this exact same thing, but you will not, you will not be lost. And so the next week they come back, and he stood up and he said, listen, it's good to have you back. I see that some of you brought your friends. You know, last week I taught on Noah's Ark, and I just feel like I did a horrible job, and I just bored you to tears. And so this morning, um, I just want to try to teach it again in a way that you'll understand. Now, we talked about last week how Noah, he had to get all these animals, you know, all kinds of animals. And um, so this morning we've got some. And he opened the back door, and he had arranged it with a local zoo to bring in animals and they start walking in. He said, the kids were already into it, but when the alligators came in, that's engaging communication. He said, kids were jumping up on their chairs. Like, I mean, every, you can have ropes and duct tape around an alligator, but if they're in the room with me, I'm getting up. Now, it wouldn't take an alligator for me. My kids know that, like, two mice, and I'm, I'm like a girl. It's, don't use that against me later. I just don't like mice at all. So it's a bore to, it's a sin to bore people with the Bible, and apparently, if you're reading the Bible, you'll find out that God agrees. Now, just jot these scripture verses down, okay? Isaiah 20, 1 through 3. Here's some of the unique ways that God communicated truth to people who needed to hear it. Now, let's just, before we even talk about them, let's just admit and agree on one thing. He's God, right? So if there's anybody, have you ever felt, just wish you could unscrew somebody's brain and pour knowledge in? 
If there's anybody who could pull that off, it would be God, correct? Like while we're sleeping, he could just... And he could, so he could, he could communicate any way he wants. And here's the ways he chose to communicate. Isaiah 20, 1 through 3. God told Isaiah to spend every day, or at least part of every day, for three years walking around Main Street, stripped and barefoot, as an example of what would happen. It is possible that he was naked and barefoot. Now picture that on Main Street every day for three years. Uh, could I get a hold of a cop, come down and take a crazy man off the streets? God told Ezekiel to make and play with toy soldiers as an illustration of what would happen to Israel. This is found in Ezekiel 4, chapter 1. And then going through verse through chapter 5, verse 4, he literally said, make miniature toys that represent Israel and show how <laughs> picture like boys with like G.I. Joe just playing. Show how I'm going to destroy Israel. He told him to do that. Then he told him to lie on his left side for 390 days and then flip over and lie on his right side for 40 days. As if that's not enough, God told him to cook his food over a fire fueled by dung and also shave off his beard. Now, just to know that, so you know God's a reasonable God, when he told Ezekiel to do this, Ezekiel said, I can't eat food cooked over human dung because I've never touched anything unclean. And God said, you know what, you're right, just use cow manure. Thanks, God. Glad we had this little conversation. 1 Kings chapter 18, God told Elijah to engage in the first recorded trash talking in a duel with false prophets on Mount Carmel. And God told him to do that. Well, that's a little trash talking. What's wrong with your God? Maybe your God just sleep. Scream louder. Nathan told David, David a story about a fictional man who was acting just like David was. 2 Samuel 12, 17. Instead of just poofing Jonah to Nineveh, my favorite story in the Bible, he could have said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. When, then, when he got on the boat and went the opposite direction, God could have just said, um, I said to go here and dropped him. But instead of doing that, what does he do? He causes a storm. He has ultimately these, the people on the ship to throw Jonah overboard. Big old fish. Hanging down in the belly of a fish. Three days later. I mean, I think for Jonah, it's good that he went out that way, correct? I'm just saying, there's only two ways out of that thing, and he got at least the, lock, the rocket launcher. Um, so he gets spit out onto the shore, and if you ask yourself, God, why? Why go through all that trouble? You know why? Because the people in Nineveh worshipped Dagon, who was a god with a fish head. And so if there was anybody they were going to receive a message from, it was the dude that just got spit out of a fish. So God could have said, hey, just repent. But instead he goes through this long, drawn-out, illustrated message at the expense of Jonah so that he made sure that they would listen to what Jonah had to say. God is all about engaging communication. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. Paul at Mars Hill is possibly, outside of Jonah, the best example of engaging communication. Acts chapter 17.
we're not going to read the whole thing. Let me just point out a couple of verses. Verse 16 says this. While Paul was waiting for them, and them is Silas and Timothy. He's waiting for his friends to get there. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Number one, Paul was burdened for the culture. He was greatly distressed. He's burdened for the culture. He investigated the culture. While he's waiting on, I don't know what you do when you're waiting on your friends. Probably play Angry Birds or Words with Friends while you're waiting for your friends. But while he's waiting for his friends, he's walking around. He's actively investigating the culture. He saw that it was a place full of idols. He went to the culture, verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So, you know, we get the synagogue, right? Because this is kind of like our version of a synagogue. We come together on Sundays once a week, and we talk, and we talk about Jesus, and we share the gospel. But Paul didn't just go there. He also went to the marketplace. So, like, when he went to Walmart, he didn't go just to blow $25, which you can do like that at Walmart. I mean, walk in for mints, and you walk out with, like, an air conditioner. How's that work? I don't know. And you bought it at the counter, you know. Paul would go to Walmart to meet people. To talk about Jesus, to investigate the culture, to get an idea of what's important to them. Verses 22 and 23, he knew the culture. Paul stood up at the meeting of the, Aerop of the Aeropagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you were very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown I'm going to proclaim to you. He knew the culture. He knew the culture so well that in verse 28, he was able to reference a poem that somebody had written. How cool is that? He knew enough about them that when he talked to them, he was able to talk to them like somebody who knew them. So what do we learn from this? Number one, Paul worked hard to research the culture. You're going to hate this statement, but it's so true. And there it is right there. Bless you. That was the statement. Everybody said, you know, you're right. I hate that. I hate that statement. Here's the statement. It's hard to be lazy and engaging. The church in America is lazy. We, we just want to go to heaven if it's okay with you. I mean, I, I, I don't really want you to go to hell, but I just want to go to heaven. So... I guess I could take the time to get to know you and kind of understand how you move and tick and what makes you think about Jesus, but that's just a lot of work, and I just want to go to heaven. Sorry, God love you. He'll help you out. I'm sure he will. The church in America is very, very lazy, and you can't be lazy and engaging at the same time. Like, if I want to know Wendy, I have to study Wendy. Now, those of you that are newly married or thinking about getting married, that does not mean that you just get, like, in front of her and just do this. All right. I see how you got the cup out of the cupboard. That's awesome. Yeah, that's nice. Okay. Uh -huh. I like the way you move, girl. That's not what it means. It means to get to know her, to study her, to find out what makes her tick. We should be doing that with culture. 
You can't do that if you're lazy. It takes work. Paul, on his day off, while he's waiting for his friends, was working to get to know the culture where he was. You can't engage culture if you don't know culture. Sometimes we settle for what's encouraging to us rather than what's engaging to them. Let me just give you a quick example. Most of us, I mean, songs are good, right? Music's good. And, like, there are certain songs I could hear from the 80s. And if a Journey song started playing right now, I mean, suddenly in my mind I'm back at certain places, right? And hopefully they're good places, sometimes maybe not. But there are experiences attached with songs. Is that fair to say? In church it's the same way. I mean, it's sad to think that we would have an experience that's good tied to Lord, I lift your name on high. But it's possible. I mean, there are songs that we have sung over and over and over again. And when we sang them in church, they really meant a lot to us. And that's not a bad thing, right? So, you know, worship leaders know that if it's not going well, worship leaders have these fallback songs. Like, if we just do this song, I'll get them back. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. It's working. I rock. You know? We just have these fallback songs. We know because people have had an emotional experience with Jesus with that song. Sometimes what happens is in church, what, what's encouraging to us becomes a whole lot more important than what's engaging to them. If you want to start a church and reach people that don't know Jesus, guess what, guess what you typically do? You sing a lot less. You sing short songs that are easy to learn. You sing the kind of songs that Christians go, well, I don't feel like I even connected with God during that song. But you're going to heaven, right? Yeah. Okay, they're not. So maybe we should engage them. Sometimes we settle. We, we fall back on what is encouraging to us. I just want to challenge you. See, there's the work, Right? When we value engaging communication, suddenly church doesn't become this thing that we just do in neutral. It becomes a very intentional act. We value engaging communication. We value saying things in a way that they can be heard. This is about our methods when we desire to engage culture, it gives us the freedom to try different methods. I've always wanted to start a place, a church, and I, we even joked around early on about calling this the experimental church. But you can't really do that because then people think, oh, they're not really going to hang out in the long term. They're just experimenting. But what I mean by that is when we, when we value engaging communication, if that's about your methods, then what can change? Your methods. Like you can get up one week and try one method, and if it didn't work, you just go, well, that was fun. Let's try this now. It's all about engaging communication. How many different methods can we think of for sharing the message of Jesus Christ? I mean, sometimes people like to dance. Um, Renee is a fantastic um, creative dancer. I'm not. I mean, did anybody watch Seinfeld? Raise your hand. You know about the Elaine dance, right? I mean, she can't dance. That's me. You don't want me dancing. I mean, creative dancing. That would, even God would leave the church. He'd just be like, I love that bull, but I just can't take it anymore. He's white and I can't move, you know. 
I mean, but there are people that are actually gifted with that kind of stuff. Poetry. I mean, good poetry. Not like Roses Red, Violets are Blue, both poems rhyme, but not this one. No, but good poetry, right? What about art? There's, there's some of you in here, man, if I gave you a canvas and some paint, some charcoal, you could do something amazing. We, Phil could be like singing, I'm amazed, and you'd be like painting stuff, charcoal, and when it was over, we'd be like, man, that is good. Give me the charcoal during amazed, and I'm like the stick, stick figure with hands in the air. That's what I got, and probably really big hands on the end. Some of you are gifted those are methods of communication. That's engaging. We're all about that here. Not just you sitting and listening to me talk. We want to engage our culture. We want to have engaging communication. Make sense? Good. Now we can move on to number two. Clear and relevant is about our message. We, we might need to know what the message is, right? <laughs> It's probably good. If we're going to be talking to people, sharing a message, what in fact are we supposed to use engaging communication to say? Here's a couple verses to write down. Acts 10, 36. Ephesians 2, 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. You read those three verses, here's what you'll learn. The bottom line of our message is this. We as humanity are at war with God. And Jesus made peace possible through his sacrifice on the cross. That's it. That's the message. We are at war with God. And Jesus came to give us peace with God. Jesus and God speak a very clear message. Sometimes um, we don't speak a clear message. Let me define what I mean by clear and relevant, and then I've got a couple, couple pictures to show you just to kind of drive the point home. Clear means this. Clear means something being communicated in a way that can be easily understood. Romans 1, 19. Just shows how God communicates. Romans 1, 19 says this. Since what, they may, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Clear means communicated in a way that is easily understood. Relevant means communicated in a way that can easily be applied. I mentioned earlier the story about um, King David and Nathan. You know, just a real quick nutshell of that story. King David, although he was a godly man, watched a woman take a bath. And man, let me just say right now, that's a bad plan. He watched a woman take a bath and he said, man, she she's looks good. Because most men, if they watch a woman take a bath, that's what they're saying, right? And so he found out who she was. He had her brought to, his, to the, the king's castle. And so they got, got together for the night, hooked up, and then he had to get rid of her husband and so he had him sent to the front lines during the war so he would die. And so Nathan goes to confront David about this. This is all in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And instead of just walking up and saying, hey, dude, you're a jerk, he tells them this story. We talked about it earlier about a guy who, you know, he had one lamb. And so the guy had tons of lambs and he wanted that one. And so he took from the one guy that had one and took that lamb and killed it and fed it to his guests. 
And when David heard the story, he got all mad. He's like ticked off. And here's what Nathan says. Maybe the most famous words in all the Bible. He said, you are the man. That is a relevant message because it's easily applied. Because David didn't go, who? Who's the man? Who's the man? He knew he was the man. You are the man. Relevant means communicated in a way that can easily be applied. If we forget that, if we forget that the message that we've been given by God is already clear and relevant, then here's what's going to happen. We tend to make it confusing. We tend to... Uh, let's, let's do the clip from Monty Python. Anybody a Monty Python fan? How many people have never heard of Monty Python? I'm sorry. I mean, by the way, because you're going to love this little clip, how we make things confusing. We have the holy hand grenade. Yes, of course. The holy hand grenade of Antioch. It's one of the sacred relics Brother Maynard carries with him. Brother Maynard, bring up the holy hand grenade. How does it, um, how does it work? I know not, my liege. Consult the Book of Armaments. Armaments, chapter 2, verses 9 to 21. And Saint Attila raised the hand grenade up on high, saying, O Lord, bless this thy hand grenade, that with it thou mayst blow thine enemies to tiny bits in thy mercy. And the Lord did grin, and the people did feast upon the lambs and sloths and carp and anchovies and orangutans and breakfast cereals and fruit bats and large... Little bit, brother. And the Lord spake, saying, First shalt thou take out the holy pin, then shalt thou count to three, no more, no less. Three shall be the number thou shalt count, and the number of the counting shall be three. Four shalt thou not count, neither count thou two, excepting that thou then proceed to three. Five is right out. Once the number three, being the third number, be reached, then lobbest thou thy holy hand grenade of Antioch towards thy foe, who, being not in my sight, shall snuff it. Amen. 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 Right. One, two, five! Three, sir! Three! We have the holy hand grenade. So, here's the deal. Why didn't they just say, don't, don't, just count to three and stop? Don't we do that? I mean, so if we're honest, scripture for many people, the message of God becomes that. This long, drawn out command. It's, not confu it's confusing. We don't understand it. Now, in our culture, let's, let's use things from our culture. Um, we had a fantastic president a couple of presidents ago, George W. Bush, a couple of presidents, one, one president ago. Um, and one thing, did I just do that? <laughs> Was that confusing for y'all or just for me? <laughs> See, here's what, here's what 
God's about. I'm getting ready to show you clips of George W. Bush because he was a very confusing president at times. And I'm going to mock him. And so God just mocked me. Thank you. Thank you so much, God. Um, does anybody have a holy hand grenade that you could throw at me right now? <laughs> Great. So just take a minute and watch these. And I'm just driving home the point here, again, that we have a clear message. The worst thing we can do is communicate it in a very confusing way. And so in my state of the, my state of the union, or state, my speech to the nation, whatever you want to call it, speech to the nation. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. And America needs a military where our breasts and brightest are proud to serve and proud to stay. If you're a single mother with two children, which is the toughest job in America as far as I'm concerned, and you're working hard to put food on your family, rarely is the question asked, are, is our children learning? Too many good docs are getting out of business. Too many OBGYNs aren't able to practice their, their love with women all across this country. See, I don't think you can be. There's an old saying in Tennessee, I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once. Shame on, shame on you. It fooled me, we can't get fooled again. And so, and uh, oh, I love that guy. Oh, man. Um, maybe while I'm talking, if you want to just show some of those crazy pictures behind me. Here's some more pictures of some confusing traffic signs. Can you see them okay? It's nothing worse than a confusing message. If you can imagine driving up on, where's the one, show the one of, um, there's like tons of directions and stuff. Can you see that one? Let me get out of y'all's way. That's good. I just love that one because somebody got creative and put good luck. Isn't that great? Imagine, imagine driving up to that. Just a couple more. We don't have that many roads in Stanley County. I would just love to take, like, my sons as they're learning how to drive and just take them to an intersection. This one's great. Touching wires causes instant death, $200 fine. <laughs> Is that it? Yeah, you can do the church one. I was going to sometimes in church, here's what we do. Just leave that for a second. There's a marquee. It says, who built your car? Let me tell you the mistakes that we can make with a message that we've been given. Number one, we can mistake cute for clear. I'm guilty. I'm a very creative person. I love to think of ways that we can creatively communicate a message. Sometimes we outthink ourselves a little bit. We take the message that God has made very clear and we try to make it cute. We try to make it clever. We try to say it in a way that people will go, wow, that's amazing. Um, and we end up with this. Who built your car? I have no idea. I don't even know what that means. When I was youth pastoring at First Assembly, I was in charge of the, the marquee, and so I always had to come up with things to put on there. And so you, after a while, you just try to become cute, try to think of something really funny. And so one day I just went up there and I just put on there, let Jesus help you get her done. 
which sounds awesome. Let Jesus help you get her done, because that was the big phrase at the, at that time, and you know people were always saying it. And it was great until Wednesday night when youth service rolled around, and the teenagers came in and they're like, Pastor Paul, did you see the church sign? And I said, Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, I'm the one that put it up there, and they said, You need to take it down. Why? I said, Don't you know what get her done means? I said, Yeah, it means get her done. They're like, no, it means get her done. And I went, you mean like get her done? Like guy, girl? I just put on the marquee that Jesus is going to help people do that? (laughs) So I I went out and put on there, who built your car? (laughs) No, I didn't do that. Sometimes we get cute and we can confuse what's clear. We can mistake, and I want to make sure you get this, okay? We can mistake related for relevant. Here's what I mean by related, not cousin. I mean the same. So sometimes we fall into the trap that thinking in order to be relevant, we have to be just like who we're communicating with. This is something that the church is struggling with right now, okay? Looking like someone doesn't make you relevant. Neither does being accepted by them. Speaking the very message they need at the very time they need it makes you relevant. Listen to this. A heart surgeon can be the biggest nerd in the world. But if I need heart surgery, he's relevant. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's this epidemic right now in the church to look like culture, to look like the world, to wear the really cool Converse tennis shoes. I can dress cool all day long, but if I don't have a message that's unique to them, that's unique to you, that's relevant to your situation, I got nothing. I'm just an idiot that looks like every other idiot. We want to be relevant That is not the same as saying we want to be cool. There are preachers who cuss when they preach because they think that makes them relevant. What that makes them is confusing because people hear that and go, wait a second, that's what I do. And the preachers think they're cool and hip and the people in their churches think, I don't know what that was about. We want to be clear. We want to be relevant. I don't want to be cute. I don't want to be like everybody else. I just want to clearly communicate with engaging communication the message that God has given us. Turn to Colossians chapter 4. Verses 3 through 6. Paul says this, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Very quickly, what that says is this, Paul showing the importance of being clear and relevant. He knew what the message was, 
Verse 3, the message was the mystery of Christ. The message was not, we're the best church ever. I love that on Facebook. I love that syndrome. Every Sunday is going to be the best one ever. I, I can't stand that. The church overpromises and underdelivers all the time. You can't miss this Sunday. It's going to be the best Sunday ever. And we overpromise. And then they walk in, and because we think it's about us, and we try to make it about us, and we try to be relevant, we underdeliver. And they walk out going, Wow, if that was the best ever, I'm not going back because that was terrible. That didn't make any sense because we send a confusing message. Paul knew what the message was. The message is the mystery of Christ. He knew how he was supposed to proclaim it, verse 4, clearly. The Greek word literally means to make manifest or visible, to be plainly recognized, thoroughly understood. So it's actually on me this morning we were in the back praying. I was like, how do you pray for this? Oh, God, help me speak clearly about speaking clearly. But it's on me this morning to clearly communicate to you what I'm saying. You shouldn't walk out. I mean, you might walk out struggling with how to apply it, and I'm not sure if I liked it, but you should not walk out wondering, what in the world did he just talk about? Paul said, I want to clearly communicate this, make it visible, manifest. And he knew that he needed to be relevant, verses 5 and 6. He said, help me to be wise, to make the most of every opportunity, to know how to answer everyone with grace and salt, which is truth. Man, we, we talk about it all the time. I would love that. I would love in every single conversation I have to have the confidence of knowing that I have the very word they need. There's this movement in the church called prophetic evangelism. It's a great movement. You know what it is? It's simply this. God... When I go to share faith with a culture that doesn't believe in you, instead of just sharing, like, the three truths about Jesus, will you just give me a specific word for their life about how you can meet their need? Can you imagine that? That kind of evangelism, that's relevant. When we all walk out of here, go into a restaurant or wherever we go to eat lunch today, what would happen if you sat down I was having lunch with the pastor last week, and we're sitting in a, in a restaurant, and the server walked up, and he just looked at her and said, we're getting ready to pray over our meal. Can, how can we pray for you? And I kind of, I'm not scared of doing that, but I just kind of thought, well, this would be interesting to see how she responds. Do you know how she responded? Like within a nanosecond. Well, you know what? My, I need this, or my dad's this. And she immediately said, here's what you can pray for. What, what would happen if all of us did that? If we walked out of here today and went to a restaurant, and said, God, today, in this restaurant, sitting at this table, give me a relevant word, a relevant message about your truth for my server. Mm. Paul knew that. So what, what do we learn from this? The message that we have is a great one of peace with God through Jesus. Hebrews 2, 3, just write that down. Hebrews 2, 3 re re refers to our salvation as so great a salvation. This is a great message that we have. The worst thing we can do is confuse what God has made clear. And sometimes the best thing we can do is simply tell people the plain truth that God's already spoken. I've actually been in services where, <laughs> this is the stuff that happens when you're a youth pastor. Like you ask teenagers to share, and they tell you before they get up and share like what they're going to talk about. And you're just like, man, this is going to be great. And then they get up in front of the crowd of people, and they just kind of freak out a little bit right? They get a little bit nervous. And so I was at a youth service one time where 
the guy was going to like preach out of this chapter. And when he got up in front of everybody, he just blanked. You know, like he's starting to sweat. He's kind of starting to freak out. So he just said, uh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to read this chapter. And he read it. And it was from Psalms, and it, was, it wasn't Psalm 119, but it was one of those long ones. And so I'm sitting up on the platform as the youth pastor kind of going, oh, God, help him, Lord, please. Some change, do something. I just felt so bad for him. And like, you know, five minutes later when he finished reading the whole psalm and he sat down, the entire atmosphere of that church had changed. Just from the reading of the Word of God. Sometimes the best thing we can do is just get out of the way. The Bible's clear. Just simply tell people, this is the message from God. Just speak it clearly and plainly. So number three, we um, engaging communication, clear and relevant. Number three, last one, life to a dying culture is about our motives. This one cuts to who we are as a church. This is what can set us apart from the many voices in the church that speak to culture. Because it speaks to our motives. Proverbs 16.2, God is a God who judges the heart. This last phrase answers the why behind the what. I'm sure that you've noticed this because um, how many of you are originally from the south? You've grown up in the south all your life. Raise your hands. Be proud. Come on. Bull peanut fans, right? Well, that's further south. That's South Carolina. Up here, it's like roasted peanuts and an RC cola, right? And if you're really from the South, you pour the peanuts into the RC Cola. How many have done that? Show of hands. How many threw up when you were done? No, that's pretty good. That's the kind of thing you hear about and go, ooh, ooh. and then when you try it, you're like, wow, I'm going to do this. Forget the ice cubes, peanuts and everything, right? If you grew up here in the South, you know that there are no shortage of churches who do, in fact, use engaging communication to speak a clear and relevant message. One that comes to mind is Westboro Baptist Church. You may not know that name, but you've heard of them because these are the people that picket military funerals so that they can get out their anti-gay message. There's a church in Irma, South Carolina. I love this. They had a marquee that said this, you may party in hell, but you'll be the barbecue. What I want you to know is both of those churches are in fact proclaiming a message that is engaging and it is actually scriptural. But I want to ask the question, what are your motives? When you put up a sign on a marquee that makes a joke about people spending eternity in hell, what are your motives? When you picket a funeral for a serviceman or servicewoman who actually gave their life to defend their country so that you can push your agenda about homosexuality, what is your motive? And I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid a lot of people, their motive is simply to tell dying people that they're dead. We're not that church. Now, I got no problem telling you what I think from the Bible about homosexuality. I got no problem with the reality of hell, but we are not a church that will take pleasure in telling dead people that they are, in fact, dead. We will be a church that takes pleasure in speaking life to a dying and dead culture. This deals with our motives. What is your motive for telling people the truth? 
Sometimes the motive is, I just want to tell him, you're a jerk. <laughs> and how sad is that? That if you sat down with a hundred unbelievers and asked them, what's your perception of the church? If you could define the church in one word, that they might answer with, because that's their perception of the church. They tell me what I already know. They don't tell me anything new. God is looking for believers who will speak an engaging, clear, relevant message in order to bring the spiritually dead back to life. It is why Jesus came, John 10.10. 10. It says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have life abundantly. People who have been lied to and robbed from. Anybody here have been robbed? I have. Like I've had police come to my duplex and like do the whole dusting for prints, which is a really cool thing. It's, it was phenomenal. You know, like watching like pouring the stuff on there and the little brush out. And then when they got done, they're like, can't help you. But you just dusted for prints. Yeah, but there's none that we can use. But, like, it's still on my windowsill, the dirt and junk, the dust you used. Yeah, you have to clean that off. You're a jerk, and you're going to jail. <laughs> you know, it just, it just, I've been robbed. And you know what happens when you're robbed? You don't want somebody to come into your house and say, you've been robbed. <laughs> Thanks. Can you help me catch the robber? No, just need you to sign this police report stating, in fact, that you have been robbed. Awesome. I'm glad I called 911. People that are lied to don't need you to tell them that they were lied to. You ever had a conversation with a spouse who found out that their spouse was cheating on them? That's not the time to look at them and say, well, you know, they were actually, when they told you that they loved you, they were lying to you. Oh, really? Thank you, Captain Obvious. People that have been lied to, they don't need you to tell them they, they, they've been lied to. They already know they were lied to. People that are robbed, they already know they've been robbed because they can look around and see that. What they need is somebody that can give them assurance that they will have life again. What they need is somebody to tell them how they can come beside them and walk with them while their life is restored. Remember the craze to boycott Disney? How crazy was that? Why are we boycotting Disney? Well, you know they're sinning. You know that they're sinners, right? It's kind of what they do. No, we don't like it. You're not supposed to like it, but if you boycott them, you won't be around them. You actually have Jesus. The question is about motive. What is our motive for sharing truth, a clear message? Our motive has got to be to bring a dead culture back to life. We value that as a church. So what do we learn from this? Hurt people need helping people. Everybody get ready because I'm going to say something and I thought about not putting it in here and when I do it, you're going to be like, you're either going to think it's brilliant or you're going to groan, okay? Are you ready? 
Are you sure? I'm counting on you to speak truth to me. Be nice about it. Instead of pointing, <laughs> I'm almost scared to do it now. I really am, because it could be really, be, it really could be corny. Here we go. Instead of pointing out the obvious, we should point out the Godvious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tweet that, baby. I don't even know how to spell it. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5.14, until we truly know the love of Jesus, we will take pleasure in pointing out the errors in our culture instead of pointing them to life in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, for Christ's love compels me. Compels. I don't have a choice. I'm so in love with Jesus, I've got to go tell culture that he loves them too. I've used this in a number of messages. Let me just drop this truth on you. The word for compel there, you know what it literally means? You like Mexican? Who likes Mexican? Raise your hands. Compelled is what happens after you eat Mexican. That's what, that's what it is. That's what, it, that's what that word means. You're sitting around back home on the couch. What went in had to come out. You're compelled. That's what it means. Are you, are you that full of Jesus? Are we that full of Jesus? And, and Paul said, Christ's love has so overtaken my life that it literally compels me to tell others about the reconciliation that we have in Christ. If you did it without all the after Mexican stuff, they'd probably appreciate it. So let's wrap this whole thing up. Here we go. Let's be clear. I want to be clear. Wrap this up clearly. Number one, we've been entrusted with a priceless message. Number two, the message of God will accomplish its purpose if we don't cloud it. Isaiah 55, 11. The word of God does not return void. It will accomplish what it has been sent to do. As the guy that gets up most weeks and teaches you, you can ask Wendy, I'm nervous every week. Not because I'm afraid to speak, but because I'm afraid to mess up the message God has. I don't want to be in the way. We should live with that kind of reverence, that kind of awe. Number three, perhaps the best way to wrap it up is to pray like Paul did in Colossians 4, 3 through 6. We just read it, that we would have open doors in our culture, a clear message to tell them, and the relevant approach that helps them hear it, even if they don't accept it. We want to be a church that is a voice of truth. So when people come here and they hear truth and they don't like it and they leave, we don't want them to leave, but we get it. Some people don't want to hear the truth all the time. But if we say it in a way that they hear it, understand it, that's clear, that's engaging, that's full of grace, then sometime down the road when they realize that what we said was true, they will remember who the nice people were, full of grace, that told them. Not the people went, that went, yeah! Our county is full of, and those places are empty, and they're speaking the truth, but not in a way that's relevant, not in a way that's clear, not in a way that's full of compassion that wants to give life to a dying culture. We want to give life to a dying culture. So this morning, I'm going to pray for you, 
And while I pray, I'm going to pray that, that God gives us open doors, a clear message, a relevant approach. I want you right now to close your eyes. I want you to think of one or two people that you know in your life that need to hear that there is life for them. That even though they're dead, God came to give them life, an abundant life at that. And while I close this in prayer, I want you to be saying, God, yeah, that thing that Paul's praying right now about open doors, about a relevant message, about being clear, God, I want that. I want that to share with my friend, with my spouse, with my child, with my boss. Lord, I pray this morning for the people of the gathering. I pray that this week, and, and by this, I don't want it to be Thursday. I want it to be at the restaurant today. I pray that they would find open doors into this culture that we love and that you love. I pray that you would give them a clear message. That you would give them a relevant approach to share the reality of Jesus Christ. We are at war with you. And Jesus brought peace between us and you, God. And all of us in this room, we are recipients of that. We walk out of here today with peace. We know that you have, through Christ, we have a relationship with you, God. And we're going to be served at restaurants by people who don't know that, who don't know the peace that Jesus brought. As, as a church, God, we value Engaging them in a conversation that points to life in Christ. And we thank you, God, for being faithful to your word, always watching over it, and making sure that the message you've given us accomplishes what you sent it to do. We pray for great salvations this week in Stanley County as a result of how you use our words full of salt and grace to speak into the lives of people who are hurting all around us. In your name, Jesus, amen.